Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Missourian Basketball Podcast. My name is Reed Catellis, and I'm joined again by my partners, David Sack and Connor Worley. You are listening to Episode 6, and we're more than happy to provide you a distraction from the recent Mizzou football news. We'll be taking a look back at the LSU and Auburn losses, as well as previewing the coming week. Uh, but first, let's kick this off with our soundbite of the week. Our soundbite comes from Conzo Martin after the heartbreaking LSU loss on Saturday. It's, 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 it's a hard, hard pill to swallow. Hopefully, it's one we can learn from and never have to witness again. But you never assume the game is over until it's over. Yeah, so that was Conzo Martin from Missouri Arena last Saturday after Missouri lost to LSU in overtime despite leading by 14 points with just over two minutes left. Uh, things didn't get any better Wednesday, but we'll get to that in a minute. For now, let's move on to our trivia question. So Missouri lost by 34 points to Auburn on Wednesday, which was the worst loss in the Conzo Martin era. When was the last time the Tigers lost by at least that many points? So we'll return to that later. So let's go ahead and break down what happened over the past week. Uh, in each of the last two games, Missouri was without Mark Smith, who is still out with a left ankle injury. Despite that, Missouri led for the majority of the second half on Saturday against LSU, but ended up losing in overtime. And on Wednesday, the Tigers looked great in the first half at Auburn and trailed by just three points at halftime, but ended up getting blown out. What did you guys see? I mean, man, where to even begin? Um, we can start with Wednesday's performance against Auburn. Uh, in that performance, I mean, what I really saw is just you know, without Mark Smith, this is a team that already has such glaring depth issues. And without Mark Smith, you know, they really didn't stand a chance, quite frankly, against that Auburn team. I know they hung in there for a half and looked pretty good doing it. But once Auburn shots fell, it was clear Missouri just didn't belong on that court with them. Mm. Yeah, Bruce Pearl's team score a lot of points. And Missouri has had trouble doing that this year. So obviously that was going to be a big issue going into the game. One of the things I noticed early on uh, that Missouri just never adjusted well to was how Bruce Pearl always has his team's pressure the inbound pass. Right. And it seemed like Missouri was always timid and like kind of scared getting the ball inbound. It led to a five-second call at one point. And it just seems they can never get over those type of things and adjust. Mm -hmm. And I think I would make the argument that Missouri at least tried to adjust in one way. There were a few times when Jordan Geist actually inbounded the ball against the press. Mm -hmm. He didn't take the ball up every time like he usually does. And, I mean, the Tigers still finished with 20 turnovers, which is still obscene. But they just need to do more to fix these issues. But in the first half, it was really kind of impressive the way, the way they were playing. They went into halftime trailing by three points, but they it was kind of back and forth the whole half. Jeremiah Tillman was very involved early, scored eight points in the first half. And a big thing with Auburn is, I mean, they were without Austin Wiley, who is 6'11". Uh, for his, they missed him for the fourth straight game, and their solution to that problem was just jack up as many threes as you, as you can possibly shoot, and that's what they did. And that was really playing to Missouri's benefit for the first half. Missouri shot better in the first half. In the first half, uh, I think Auburn went five for twenty-one in that first half, and Auburn's emphasis on the perimeter game really allowed Missouri to take take advantage of the interior, which they did well. I mean, Auburn's four and five players are six, seven, and six, eight, and someone really took advantage of that, but. When the second in the se when the second half came, Auburn started actually connecting on those threes. Things got things really got out of hand. Yeah, and in that Auburn game, I'd also like to go over the couple of lineup changes that Conzo Martin made. I mean, he's had such a steady lineup all year, mm -hmm. and this is the first time it's been changed for a non-injury reason. Um, you know, how about that change of KJ Santos for Kevin Perrier, which of course Connor you called finally. for. <laughs> finally, you called. It. I mean, you called for that what three weeks ago? Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know. I mean, you might as well try something. Yeah. It was a little strange, though, looking at the box scores. Santos starts the game, but he only played six minutes. He yeah. took one shot, 
You know, you just got nothing out of him. Per year, played 14 minutes, which is a lot less than he was when he was starting. He shoots 0 for 3, no points, uh, three, uh, to two rebounds. And then further at that position, you have Mitchell Smith in the four, who also in 17 minutes just give you, gave you two points, one of three shooting from the field. You know, there's just no production coming out of that four spot. Yeah, it just kind of seems like Hanzo and the coaching staff have no idea what to do there. Yeah. And so this lineup change seemed like uh, a play to try to invigorate the team. But like the as soon as they realized that wasn't gonna work, they just went back to their old ways. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they gave Mitchell Smith like way more minutes than he's had in the last few games. Seventeen, yeah. But there's just been no consistency from the players and I don't think at that position and I don't think there's been any consistency with the coaching staff to even help either. Yeah. Yeah, it was just really crazy before the game, you know. For 17 straight games, the lineup was the same, or maybe a few less than that, because, I mean, the first portion of the season, it was always Mark Smith, Jordan Geis, Javon Pickett, Jeremiah Tillman, and Kevin Perrier. And then before the Auburn game, the lineup pops up, and, oh, it's Xavier Pinson in, in, in place of Mark Smith, okay. And then it's KJ Santos, which was just completely unexpected. And so you think, okay, they, they're, they're changing things up, that's good, this team needs a change of pace. And then, yeah, you, as you said, David, Santos played six minutes, and that was a team low. And why are you starting Santos if he's only going to yeah, play that, six minutes? And then they seem to abandon that because Perrier started in the second half. And I wrote this after the game, but really, that move really didn't have any consequences at all because neither player even scored. It really didn't change Yeah, anything. that's one of the biggest questions I have is, like, I'm all for, like, trying something different. But why give – if you're going to start KJ, why only give him six minutes? Like, mm-hmm. even if he's failing out there, which the whole team was, so there's no – there's no harm in playing KJ. Right. Just leave him out there for an extended period of time and see what he can do instead mm-hmm. of just realizing quickly, oh, this was a mistake, and then just taking him out for pretty much the whole game. Yeah, I, I wish we'd been in that press room uh, after the game to ask Conzo just, you know, you started KJ, why did you do that? And then in turn, why did you only play him six minutes? I mean, certainly uh, you'd like to think Conzo has a, a good and well-thought-out reason for it, at least in his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean, there has to be some kind of reason because, you know, looking at this box score, you know, he decided he played the Mitchell Smith more minutes than he went before. And, I mean, there have been times this year where he hasn't played Mitchell Smith at all in games. So I just think right now, like you said, Connor, Conzo just has no idea what to do in that position right now. There just aren't any good options. Yeah. So Wednesday was a, kind of a disaster for Missouri, but Saturday was much different uh, in that LSU game. Missouri led for much of the second half, as we said. Missouri led by 14 points with 2 minutes 14 seconds left. Of course, we all know what happened next. LSU went on a 15-1 to run to send the game to overtime. And we were all there in the arena, and that was simply just an amazing thing to watch that collapse. What did you guys take away from that game? Well, um, maybe this isn't my my top takeaway or my second takeaway or even my third takeaway, but I, I think we've done so much covering of the collapse and how mm. bad it was late in the game. I mean, I think it is important to note that for 38 minutes nearly without Mark Smith, Missouri played extremely well against a very quality opponent, um, you know, and it was led by their defense. Missouri's defense has shown throughout most of the year, uh, the Auburn game aside, of course, but, you know, Missouri defense is legitimately really good. And you look at this box score, I mean, Tremont Waters, one of the best players in the conference shot four for 17, two Shut of nine, down. two of nine from three. Naz Reed shot two for 12. I mean, you know, the Missouri defense and overall the team I thought played very well against a very, very quality opponent for 38 minutes, of course, before the wheels fell off the bus. Mm. Yeah, but that seems to be a recurring theme of this season where they'll have 
like a good first half, or in this case, a good 38 minutes, then something happens and the other team throws a punch and Missouri's just scrambling and they can't answer and things seem to be just going wrong and collapsing on offense and defense. And I just, I don't know. It's kind of frustrating to watch multiple times a year. Yeah. I do want to take a moment to kind of appreciate Jordan Dice because, I mean, before this season, this is a guy no one thought was special who, I mean, who, like, who wants Jordan Guy said at the point guard spot? And then the Paradise Jam rolled around in December. Yeah. And Jordan Guy scored 20 points in two, November. In November. And Jordan Guy scored 20 plus points twice in that tournament. And now, well, I guess Saturday when Mark Smith was out on the, in that LSU game, Guy's really just took over. He scored 25 points on 7 to 14 shooting. He also had 11 rebounds. That was his first career uh, double double. Had four turnovers, but that's because he literally had the ball every possession, just yeah. doing everything he possibly could to keep Missouri in that game. And he was he was good from three. He shot three of seven from three. But I mean, I was insane just watching him drive in the lane and use those pivot moves to score the rim, like over over guys six inches taller than him. I was really impressed with him. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about Jordan Geist. He is a he's a good college basketball player. I mean, he could start on good teams across the country and help mm-hmm. them in performance against LSU certainly solidified that you know they're not everyone can do that 25 points and 11 rebounds you know a pretty good shooting night seven for 14 i mean jordan geist has really really made himself into a good player here yeah and his year uh, or his improvement each year since he's been here has been remarkable and the kansas city stars alex schiffer tweeted from the auburn game wednesday night that nba scouts were next to him and they had guys mm-hmm. down on his sheet and I think that just goes to show that he's improved a lot. And I certainly, I don't think he's an NBA caliber talent, but he's summer league, maybe summer league, or yeah. I think he's certainly played himself into some international. Play. Absolutely, absolutely, he will. He's he will absolutely make a living playing basketball. Yeah, he's a somewhere. So let's move on to our stud and dud from the past week. Our stud is going to be Jeremiah Tillman. Obviously, been an up and down year for Tillman, but the last two games he scored 15 points each in, in each of those games. Um, and Tillman did a really good job in that LSU game of playing well while he had four fouls. I mean, that LSU game was crazy with all the fouls that were, that were being called on both teams. He, had, he was playing with four fouls at the end. Um, he scored 15 points and got six rebounds. And then on, at Auburn, he, he also played a really good game there. He's, I, I, as I said, he scored eight, eight of Missouri's first 18 points, scored, finished with 15 points and five rebounds. And this is really curious to me because Tillman was blown for a whistle with an two minutes of the game starting, and then he didn't commit a foul for the rest of the game, but he only played 26 minutes. I mean, 26 minutes isn't like minuscule, but that's – he should be playing more. He played a career-high career, career high 35 minutes in the LCU game and then played 26 in the Auburn game when he was playing playing with just one foul. Anyway, what did you guys see from Tillman? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to address what you just said about him only getting 26 minutes on Wednesday against Auburn. I mean, that's certainly a head-scratcher. I mean, maybe Conzo just sort of figured, you know, this game's over – I don't want to risk an injury to anyone, but um, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, quite frankly. I think you keep your, your foot on the gas when you're behind. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, Tillman was the best player on the floor for Missouri uh, against Auburn on Wednesday. I, I don't think there's much question about mm-hmm. that. He mm-hmm. shot six for eight. And so, uh, yeah, very strange for him to play 26 minutes, especially because, you know, in the LSU game, like you said, a career-high 35 minutes. I mean, it's just amazing how simple it is with Tillman. If he stays on the floor, he seems to produce. So if he's not in foul trouble, there's no reason to keep him off the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as cliched as it's become to talk about his foul troubles, I mean, he only had, yeah, like you guys said, one foul in this game. So 
I would have just kept him in. I mean, he was playing well on on defense too, and especially to keep playing, just keep him playing in a game where he has where he's not telling, so he can kind of just get what that feelings like playing a full, you know, thirty eight minutes again without having to be in foul trouble. I think yeah. would have helped him a lot. And with Mark Smith out, you could argue that Jeremiah Tillman is the Tigers' best offensive player. You could argue it's Geist, but I mean. We, we, we talk a lot about pace and how Missouri wants to slow the ball down. And when they do that, the reason it works is because they can feed Tillman down low in the post. And, and I think up our opportunities yeah, to score. most coaches uh, post-game always talk, emphasize Tillman before anyone else. And yeah. they want to take Tillman away. So right. I think he's a, a big part of the game plan for every team they face. No mm-hmm. question. And Auburn, with their issues at size with their 6'11", center Austin Wiley out, you know, the tallest guy they had on the floor yesterday was 6'8". And that's why Tillman was so dominant. So, yeah, in that situation, I I don't get why he wasn't on the floor. It's it's hard to figure. So on to our dud. Our dud is going to be Kevin Perrier. And we won't go too hard on Perrier, but we, we kind of we mentioned how he struggled before, but he scored just two points in the LSU game and then a week you know, and then on Wednesday he wasn't the starting lineup and he scored zero points against Auburn. We're at a point where Kevin Perrier is now averaging 7.8 points per game, which is the lowest total he's had in all four years in Columbia. Uh, He hasn't crossed double-digit scoring once in SEC play. Yeah. um, I think the biggest issue with Perrier is that it seems to be getting worse. I mean, I think earlier in the year he was just sort of more of a non-factor in games, which was certainly a problem because Missouri needs him to be a factor. Mm -hmm. But, you know, looking at Saturday's game against LSU, you know, he shoots one for seven from the field. Now we'll give him some credit. He got seven rebounds against those big boys on LSU, uh, Bigby Williams and Reed. Uh, So, you know, he got seven big rebounds. But, man, he's just giving this team absolutely nothing on offense. And now he's starting to hurt the team on offense because he's trying to get Mm. back into it, trying to put up a lot of shots. They're just not falling. And, uh, I mean, yeah, that's why Santos started. Yeah. And one of the big things I've seen on offense is, like, his whole shooting form and his mechanics just seem so off. And every time he shoots, I I just never expected to go in. The way his yeah. arms are at the release point is just really horrible. Mm-hmm. And I think he's really regressed in that aspect of his game. Mm-hmm. And David, you mentioned that now he's at this point where he's kind of trying to force himself into these situations, trying to make up for it. And that was very visible against Auburn. Uh, there was a play in the second half, I think 15 minutes left. Prior got the ball on the right wing, and he did a shot fake and then did a triple threat thing, and then he, dr- he he drove in, and he got stalled by an Auburn defender, and he literally had no idea what to do with the ball. He, mm. he didn't know if he was going to shoot, he didn't know if he was going to pass. Eventually he tried to pass, but he traveled first and ended up with a turnover. I, I think it just for he needs to slow his game down because, I mean, there's no denying he's a hard worker mm-hmm. and that he's trying, he's giving it out all out on the court, but... He just needs to slow his game down because it's him playing with his frantic pace is not helping anyone, mm-hmm. especially himself. Yeah, and another thing on piling on per year, you know, we've been around per year throughout the season. Um, getting, I get the sense that we'll never be on hard as or as hard on Kevin as Kevin is on himself. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. he certainly doesn't want to end his career this way. He knows that he's not doing enough for the team and that. You know, he's certainly a, a reason why the team has struggled so much in SEC play. And so, uh, you know, we'll see if Perrier can finish his career on a higher note than this. Yeah, I mean, talk about finishing your career. Missouri has two defining seniors who 
who are, are usually starting lineup is Jordan Geis and Kevin Perrier. And we just talked about how Geis has really been showing off this year, scored 25 points at, against LSU. He's really been carrying this team. And then it's kind of the opposite case for Perrier, where he's really just hurting this team. And it's kind of hard to watch when he's trying to get himself involved in these games. Let's go ahead and take a look over the next week. Uh, Missouri hosts uh, Vanderbilt on Saturday. And Vanderbilt is 0-7 in the SEC and is ranked 114th in net. So that's probably Missouri's best chance so far for an SEC win. And then the Tigers go to number one Tennessee on Tuesday. So that's almost a guaranteed loss. But how important is it for Missouri to win Saturday? Uh, David's talked a little bit about uh, it's important because they need to go to the NIT. I'm sure he'll touch on that. But I don't, I don't even think the NIT is in play at this point. I think they just want to keep their head above water and mm. stay at a 500 level or barely finish above 500. This game's essential. If they lose this game, then I just don't see any way that they're anything but a below 500 team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this Vanderbilt team, there's no way around it. They're just a bad team, really struggling in the SEC at 0-7, like you said, Reed. And, you know, 114 in the net, I mean, you can go on and on. It's just not a good team. Missouri is at home. They need to find a way to win this game. And, you know, yeah, I'm gonna t- I'll, I'll talk about the NIT chances. Uh, I, I don't think it's out of reach, but I think it, I think it is if they lose this game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that they still, being in the SEC, they, they have some chances to get quality wins, like the LSU win would have been, like the road win at Arkansas would have been. Um, but if they lose this game to Vanderbilt, I don't see how they're going to be able to overcome that. Uh, and then, I mean, moving on to Tennessee on Tuesday, I mean, you know, you go in there with absolutely no expectations. Uh, there's just nothing you can do. What happens, or I guess what needs to happen if Missouri wins that game against Tennessee. Yeah. How can they win uh, that game? Hell freeze over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, can we just rattle everything that could possibly go well? And I mean, Tennessee's they, bus gets stuck. Yeah. Te- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tennessee, <laughs> you know, can't make it to the, to Thompson bowling arena, even though it's on their campus. Uh, and then uh, I don't know. It's going to be tough. <laughs> Yeah, Tennessee's but Tennessee still hasn't lost an SEC game. But ironically, uh, I, th- I think Tennessee's biggest scare probably came uh, a few weeks ago when they played Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vanderbilt, which is again zero seven in the SEC, uh, took took Tennessee to overtime, and it took Grant Williams scoring over forty points to going twenty three to twenty three from the free throw line for Tennessee to win that game. So at the same time, that was a rivalry game. So I guess that's it, true. It was yeah. a rivalry game, and it was at Vanderbilt. You know, yeah. yeah, things can happen on the road, but at home for for Tennessee to let their guard down to that extent would be remarkable. Right. Okay, so let's go ahead and sign off. First, let's answer our trivia question. We asked, when was the last time Missouri lost by thirty-four points or more in a game? That hasn't happened in the Conzo Martin era, but when did it happen last? That last happened. In 2017, it was February 2nd at Florida. Missouri lost 93 to 54 to the Gators, which extended their losing streak to 13 games. Things may seem bleak now, Missouri fans, but they've gotten a lot better since then. We're going to go ahead and sign off now. Look forward to our coverage of Vanderbilt and Tennessee. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll, we'll be back Friday.